Good evening. Am I on now? <clears throat> so most of you know me, so I don't want to spend too much time on me, but just a little about me. My name's Jared. I've been a member for about eight years, um, and I have been teaching Sunday school, helping with small group, and assisting Josh with youth uh, since then. Last November, as Adam mentioned, um, I accepted the call to preach. I'm a police officer, if you didn't know. I'm also a husband to Lauren, a father to Elias, Ephraim, and Tiny Bo, Eleanor. Uh, she was recently born. That's her nickname, Tiny Bo. They laugh, they know. <laughs> um, this is my first time preaching. I'm excited, but I'm nervous as well. Uh, Adam and Josh consistently divide the word rightly up here in front of y'all. The more that I do this, the more respect I have for them and what they do. It's increasingly difficult uh, the more that I get into it. <clears throat> I confess that I am woefully in need of the Spirit's guidance to say anything useful tonight. I just pray that he would use me as a mouthpiece to tell you um, his word. What I want to preach tonight is Luke chapter 1, verse 5 through 25. If you have your Bible or your app, Bible app, you can get that out now. The four verses that precede what we're going to study tonight are the introduction to Luke. In it, he says that he carefully investigated the facts of the gospel, and he wrote them down in a narrative to tell a man named Theophilus that the gospel was true. With this ultimate purpose in mind, this him writing it to, to educate somebody that the gospel is true, I want to show you three things. The first two things are God hears the prayers of his people. And the second one is God succeeds in spite of human failure. The last thing is Christ is coming and has come. Let's pray real fast, and then we will read the text. God, thank you for this opportunity. I pray that you would calm my nerves, that I would focus on teaching this text, and trust you to make things work out right. Uh, you are good, your mercy endures forever, and your word shows you as glorious and great and worthy to be praised. God, thank you for the, the word that we have. I pray that you would help us cling to it, and your Wonderful name we pray. Amen. So, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah, 
Your prayer has been heard. You and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these, take, these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. When his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Thus far as the reading of God's word. So I mentioned this is the first piece of an investigation. Luke's writing this gospel to, to tell Theophilus that the gospel is true. You can have assurance of it. The first story he tells us is this one after his intro. He introduces us to two characters, Zechariah and Elizabeth, his wife. The text offers a character summary of Zechariah and Elizabeth. It says they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. However, they have a problem. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both old. In Bible times, this was bad news for many reasons. No child means no one to provide for you as you age, no one to care for you as you were deathly ill, or if you couldn't work, there's no one to, to financially support you, no one to carry on your name. It results in a sad ending to your family line. And to a Jew, which Zechariah and Elizabeth were Jews, if you knew the promises of God, this would be confusing to you. This would really make you wonder, does God, does he, does he care about us? Thus it brought an aspect of shame or reproach, as Elizabeth later states. A childless Jewish couple really would be challenged by this. <clears throat> we know that the father of the Jews, Abraham, he was promised by God to be the father of a great nation. But they couldn't have kids, right? You know the story. They were both old and barren, just like Zechariah and Elizabeth. So what did they do? They sinned. Um, they, they messed up. They knew that God promised to make him a great nation, but, but they couldn't have kids, and th- they messed up. Zechariah and Elizabeth, however, in this story, they remained faithful. They were blameless, it says. Um, the problem was still there, though. You still didn't have children. You still have shame and dishonor. You still worry about what's going to happen. Apparently, 
according to what the angel says, they had prayed to God for a solution. And also, according to Gabriel, God heard their prayers. This is a, I love that ministry. <laughs> I, I don't, I can't pretend, um, or I just need to confess that my prayer life is something that needs to be um, a lot more consistent. But, but I know this, God hears our prayers. He hears your prayers. I need to be clear, faithful prayers <clears throat> and God giving you what you want is not the point that Luke's making. Remember, Zechariah and Elizabeth were advanced in years. They'd likely been praying for a long time for this to occur. Um, in this particular case, however, Gabriel says directly to Zechariah, your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For those of you experiencing pain, as you are waiting for God to answer your prayers, I want to encourage you, God hears you. He hears you. The God that put the stars in the sky, knows them by name, knows the hairs on your head, holds the universe up with his hands, hears you. Um, so, be like Zachariah and Elizabeth. Serve him and be content with him as you wait for him to answer your prayers. So, Zechariah was a priest. We mentioned that. Likely a very experienced one since he was advanced in age. He's from a well-respected family. The text tells us that it was his time for duty. And he drew a short straw to go into the temple and burn incense or offer prayers. Interestingly enough, when he gets in there and Gabriel says to him, hey, your prayers are answered, what does he do? He responds with doubt, right? So we have this old, intelligent, from a good family priest who's in there to offer prayers. And he goes in there and angel says, hey, your prayers are answered. And just fumbles that one. Um, <laughs> Pastor John Piper has a sermon um, on this text. And his title is, How Not to Talk to an Angel. <laughs> Um, I thought that was funny, but it's actually not funny at all. Um, men died in that temple if they didn't do things exactly as God commanded. There was a curtain to keep people who weren't allowed in there from going inside and dying. This was his time to shine. This was a Super Bowl for priests. He drew the lot. He was supposed to go in there and do that. This may be the only time in his life that he got to, to do this, and he fumbled on the goal line. And the angel responds. Kind of, I, I imagine it is some booming, huge actor's voice. You know, I don't know how scary Gabriel sounds, but I'm sure it was scary because he was scared. Um, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent, unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. How not to talk to an angel? Indeed. Especially not that one. Gabriel was one of two angels that have names in the Bible, and he only appears four times in all of it. So, so what does the angel do? He makes him mute. He silences him for the entire pregnancy. Now, some of you in the crowd, some of you wives, might not think that's such a bad thing. 
Um, husband talking too much? Remember, God, here's your prayers. I just preached on that. Um, that's a bad joke. Back to the story. Most of the sermons on this verse, including Piper's, what they do is, is they, they take this picture of Zechariah and him failing and him not believing, and then they compare and contrast it with Mary. So the story right after this is the story of baby Jesus, story of the virgin birth. Um, this, is, this text is actually an Advent text. It's leading up to the birth of Christ. And um, what they do is they compare and contrast Zechariah doing good and Mary doing bad. I'm sorry. I got that completely backwards. Zechariah doing bad, Mary doing good. Um, but instead of focusing on Zechariah's failures, what if we were to shift our focus to look at what God did instead in spite of his failures? Look closely at what it says there. What, what does Gabriel say after he he mutes him. He says this, until these things take place. Okay? My words which will be fulfilled in their time. The human element there has failed, right? Zechariah misses the ball. He completely strikes out. But he still experiences God's blessing. This should perk your ears up a little bit. Where else? What other concept do we as Christians believe where when the human element fails, Christ, God succeeds? Anybody, anybody perking up yet? The gospel. The gospel. It's the very essence of the gospel. Observe throughout your personal salvation process, the sovereign God who saves you in spite of yourself. Adam mentioned, he preached last Sunday in the verse in John where it says that no one comes to him unless the Father draws him. You realize that if you're sitting in a chair tonight and you're a Christian, that God has drawn you to himself in spite of yourself and your sin. That's good news. In Ephesians 2, after a less than flattering description of human sinfulness, it says, God made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. God saves us in spite of ourselves. God works and succeeds in spite of human failures. If you're not a believer in this room, also know this. Everyone who is sitting in these chairs at one time was not a believer and lived a life in rebellion to God, and lived a life in continual sinning, and God drew them. You can't mess up God's plan. It can't be done. That is good news. I know, like, personally, if I think back to college years or before college, I just, I just wince at thinking about the things that I did and the stuff that and you all, I'm sure, have similar stories. Like, you know those things that you did that, that you think, man, that was just, that completely stopped it right there. No, no. God is much more sovereign and powerful than that. He's much more good and loving than that. So don't, uh, if, if you're a non-believer, don't think that you can stop him or that your things you've done stopped him. You can't. Um, God succeeds in spite of human failure. And this is the big point. This is the one I want to talk about the most. We can learn about God's characteristics 
from how he deals with Zechariah and Elizabeth. But the main character in this text is John. It's the baby that's going to come. Look at what Gabriel says about him. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's room, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. You may remember in the introduction, I mentioned that Luke's writing this to assure Theophilus that the gospel is true. The things Gabriel says here are important. This, this quote that he says about John to Zechariah is, is really important. If you were a first century Jew believer, you probably would recognize these words. Because the very last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, is where they're from. Uh, it was written 400 years prior to Christ's birth. And it says this. Uh, if you would like to turn there, I suppose you can. I'm pretty good on time. I'll wait on you. Let's do it. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Bible drill time. It's really cool to see these texts, this, this stuff that the angel says from a text we know is 400 years old. Behold, this is Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I will send my messenger, he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. The reaction to hearing that should be, oh, wow, okay. We just heard an angel eyewitness testimony of this angel saying this in, in the temple to Zechariah. Luke writes that down for us, and then we go back and we read it over here in Malachi 400 years prior. It's a big deal. It also says it in Malachi chapter 4. Just turn the page, a couple pages with me. Verses 5 and 6. It says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Once again, when I, when I see this, oh, wow, it says that. That's, that's the same thing. Are y'all putting those two and two together there? We know the story of John the Baptist, too. So we have the prophecies. We have the prophecies from the angel, and we have these texts in the Old Testament, and we also have the, the full story. We know that John the Baptist came. We know what he did. He was weird. He told people to repent. He called the religious elite out. He told them to repent. He told everybody to repent. And he said to them this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So, do you realize how much believability this lends to the gospel story? How did Luke find out that Gabriel said these things in the temple to Zechariah? Was there anybody else in there? No. And the first four verses before this passage, Luke says that he's carefully investigated it all. So, I mean, it stands to reason that he interviewed Zechariah. So, we have eyewitness testimony of the archangel quoting a 400-year-old text in reference to a prophet. We know the child's born, specifically to a named couple. They're not imaginary. And we have recorded that he does what the 400-year-old text says, and the angel said. In law enforcement, we call that a clue. The second thing is this. So Zechariah and Elizabeth both were, were present in this time of the story. Luke wasn't writing to them, okay? 
they were experiencing this and, and were seeing it, and they could say, Christ is coming. But Luke was writing this to somebody who heard about it after the fact. Similar to us. What can we look at this text and say? Christ has come. It's not just made up. I, I, I work in a public school, and I don't, um, there is, there's a necessity for public school, but I want you to know that there are people that are teaching your children that the text can't be trusted. There are all kinds, not just public schools, I mean, there are all kinds of forces in the world without that telling us that the Bible is not true or it can't be. Guys, it is. It is incredibly rock solid. And this is just one of many examples. This is just one of, of hundreds of perfectly logical reasons to believe the Bible. <clears throat> the last thing that I want to look at is what Elizabeth says at the very end of the story. She says this in, in verse 25, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my approach among the people. So, happy ending, right? We have a Jewish couple. They can't have kids. They're sad. They have shame and reproach. They pray. Zechariah goes in the temple. He hears the angel say this. He didn't believe him. He has some consequences. And then they get pregnant. Beautiful. Happy ending. But there's more. This means more, especially given that we know that the point of what the angel said about John was supposed to point us to Christ and lead to Christ. Something that John points to Christ later. Elizabeth and Zechariah's ultimate need was not the reproach that comes off of them by having a child. What they ultimately needed was their sin and shame taken. What they needed was the son. What they needed was the child that their son was going to prophesy about. They needed Christ. Their ultimate prayer should be for, to get their shame taken away by the Messiah. Whatever is giving you grief in the present, whatever earthly blessing you desire, whatever you're earnestly praying for, the ultimate reproach, the only thing that you need, what God needs to bless you with and likely has blessed you with is to be forgiven of sin. It's Christ. So let me echo John the Baptist. If you have a need in your life, if you have an insufficiency, okay, if you have something, behold the Lamb of God that takes away sins of the world. He took it on the cross. It's finished. The shame you feel, the insufficiency you possess, whatever you lack, however poor in spirit, or poor in blessings you perceive yourself to be, God has made you complete. He has sufficed for, he has exonerated you by his work on the cross, by becoming sin that knew no sin, hanging naked, beaten, and bloody on a cross, on the tree. The God-man, he died, and then he rose victorious three days later to take away your reproach. So Christian, don't let your worldly desires distract you and take your joy there's a song. I love it. Uh, they sang this for the time I was that tall. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace.
if something's distracting you, if you, if you feel something in your world that your mind just can't get off of, if, you're, if you, you have a need that you feel like is what you need to be complete, don't, be, don't let Satan fool you. You don't need any more things. You don't need anything except Christ. And the reality is people, people hurt. They're in actual legitimate pain because they, they want things. They want, for instance, a child. That's not a bad thing to want. It's not. There are people in our church that, that are currently in pain and sorrow because they can't have a child. So I'm not saying that it's bad to pray for those things or to hurt over those things. What I'm saying is that your knowledge of who Christ is and what he's done can help you see those things in a different light. Um, there's a term called gospel lenses. Kind of like rose-colored glasses. Whenever you put those rose-colored glasses on, you see things in a different light. It changes how you view stuff. Look at your problems with a gospel lens. Your ultimate, most, the, the biggest need that you have is for your sins to be taken, for you to realize that God is good, that he is sovereign, that he has a plan for your life. He's using you to to love people, using you to share his love. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's for you, Christian. That's for you. If you're an unbeliever, repent and believe the gospel tonight. Luke's giving you the facts. It's, it's very logical. You can't, you can't get us on that one. It makes perfect sense. And not only that, the first part of this text is an example. He answers prayers. Pray to him. Pray that he would give you eyes to see and ears to hear that his gospel is truth. Pray that he would take away your sin and your reproach like he took away Elizabeth's. Place your faith and trust in the grace of God tonight. We're about to take the Lord's Supper. You'll notice it's not about worldly things. It's not about getting stuff from God. It's about identifying that you've trusted in the sacrifice that occurred by Christ dying on the cross to take your place, take your sin, take your shame, take your reproach. Luke investigated this story, and he writes, and we see where God answers prayers, and we see where his plan can't be stopped, and we see where he is coming, and he's come. Put your faith in that today. As you take this Lord's Supper, don't be distracted. You don't need anything except for your approach taken away by Christ. Let's pray. God, you are good. Your mercy endures forever. God, we know you hear our prayers. You hung the stars in place. You know their names. You made the universe and you uphold it with your hand. And you see us in our need. We know you don't need our perfection. You, you work in spite of our failures. God, for the, the believers in this room, I pray that you would pray that you'd focus their minds on you. Focus on what you've done for them. Pray that you would shift their desires for worldly things to heavenly realities. And those realities would soothe their broken hearts. Whatever they're needing, but you haven't given them yet. Lord, I pray as they wait for you, they'd be content with the blessing of your salvation. Lord, for those who don't know you, God, now work out your plan in their lives. Bend their hearts to you. Take their hearts of stone. Put a heart of flesh in. In spite of their perfection, God, draw them to you. God, 
you have come. We know you have come. We see your word. God, remind us of that as we do this, this sacrament. God, we just love you. We need you so desperately. Thank you. Pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, right now we move into time of.